Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Welcome to episode number 58 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook, and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly pe- publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, otherwise known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as one, little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook, the Handbook of the ALPO Training Program. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $18 a year. For more information, you can join us, visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy up there in the top search field. And yes, the podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of the podcast. And now, The Observer's Notebook. Alright, I'd like to welcome everybody back to The Observer's Notebook podcast. We have a special guest today, the coordinator for the Mercury section of the ALPO, Frank Malello. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. Hi, thank you very much. Welcome. It's nice to be here. Before we get started, why don't you give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Uh, Yes, okay. Uh, I'm 60 years old, and uh, I live in uh, Holesville, Long Island, New York, uh, which which is located in central Long Island, about 60 miles east of New York City. And my job is that I work as an accountant at the Recyclical uh, physical recycle insurers, which is the malpractice insurance company, and I'm doing the financing uh, work at, at the department. And um, I have two telescopes, and um, I have a selection eight-inch telescope, and I have uh, also a ten-inch mate. And um, you know, basically, I'm I'm doing a lot of planetary observing and imaging, and I've been doing that for a very long time, and uh, since. Um, since I was 11 years old, and I got into astronomy and um, during the Apollo era days, and um, and I got interested in astronomy. And I, I was attracted to beauty of the universe, and and um, I'm, I think my parents got my first telescope uh, when I was like 11 years old. Back, I think if I remember correctly, I think it was in Christmas 1969. I remember uh, with like a little 
little refractor telescope that you can put on the table. And, um, and I have growing interest in astronomy, and I got a little bigger telescope, uh, which, got, um, which, which is the refractor, an uh, optocrat refractor, and have like a 30 magnification, 40 millimeters, something like that. And I had it for, for a year and a half. And uh, when I turned 13, um, back in August 1971, I got a 4.5-inch reflector, Tasco, uh, which is a very pop- popular brand back in the 1970s. And that's during the same time during the Martian operation, uh, the very favorable operation of Mars back in August 1971. I remember we were looking through the telescope, and I see the first time real feature on, on the planet Mars. And um, so I had that telescope throughout the 1970s. And uh, then finally, I got the Selection 8 in telescope uh, in 1980, which I still have it now. And um, then, um, then I have a me 10-inch also. And um, it's, uh, the Selection 8 in telescope is very, very handy. And I, do, I did a lot of planetary observing. I thought to do astrophotography and planetary imaging too and i used to work with film um what's film 24 (laughs) yes yeah and um so you know at time progresses i got into the ccd uh, in the late 1990s and i've been doing that ever since and uh, but just uh my main passion planetary observing and uh, and the imaging and um which are now, how, how are the skies in your area of New York? Um, it's, uh, it's fairly light polluted, but not severely. Um, it's considered like a moderately light polluted sky. And um, it's, um, on a good clear night, I can see the fourth mantle, two stars. And um, very, very rarely, I can see the Milky Way uh, in Constellation Cygnus, which is right overhead. Um, toward the west, it's kind of a little bit washed out because it's uh, heavily populated, uh, you know, close to New York City. But toward the east and the south, it's the darkest part of the sky because toward the south, you're looking at the the Atlantic Ocean, and toward the east, you're looking further around Long Island, and uh, a little bit toward the north, but I don't do too much observing during the north. Uh, So, um, yeah, it's on good clear nights. I can, you know, see most of the deep sky objects and of course the planets is always always uh, the main passion there yeah your, um, your background sounds a lot like mine i'm a couple years older than you i'm 62 and i grew up on the left coast with the light pollution of la <laughs> and oh yes with the small refractor and the larger telescopes getting older so yeah it sounds like the same astronomical events affected both of our lives that's pretty interesting yeah um, I forgot. I do forget to mention that um, when I was doing it back in the 1970s and 80s, uh, I was I was living at my parents at that time, and uh, I, I was living two blocks away from New York City and 10, 15 minutes from, away from the Kennedy Airport, which is the most busy airport in in the nation. And I'm, I've been doing a lot of a lot of uh, deep sky observing and uh, imaging using the film back day and. Um, it was okay back then, you know. It was, you know, I'm talking about like 40, 45 years ago. It was okay, but now today, at the same place, on my mother's house, it's, it's completely washed out. Um, a lot of lights around there. So now I'm further east, which is not too bad, but still, 
um, you know, uh, it's, it's not a very uh, good place if you want to really doing, um, you know, yeah. like a wide angle, deep sky, uh, you need like narrow band filters for doing that. Yeah, it's difficult to do dark, real deep sky stuff anymore anywhere near a city. Uh, yeah. So you have an, a minor planet named after yourself, right? Uh, yeah, it's an asteroid named after me, yes. Um, Congratulations on that. Yeah, um, that was a couple of years ago. I was very surprised by that, and um, it was it was discovered in two, March two thousand. It was it named it designated at minor planet two thousand EZ seventy. Um, so I know very little about this asteroid. Um, it's, it, it, I think it's um, it takes about four and a half years going around the sun, and it's usually very 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 faint. I mean, uh, it's um, I haven't seen it. But, um, you know, it's considered like 18, 19 magnitude down mm-hmm. to 20 magnitude. That's it, so it's beyond my um, uh, beyond my limit of the CCD imaging here. But, however, if I understand next year in June, uh, there's a very possibility that um, I can image with the 10-inch telescope because that asteroid will be near perihelion at opposition. So it will be as bright as it can be, but the brightest will be about... 17, 17 oh, magnitude. The so that's within the that within the range of the um, CDD imaging with the 10-inch telescope under good clear night. So hopefully I'm going to have an opportunity to see just a little speck of light and that's the asteroid they name it to me. But that would be a thrill. But, uh, yeah, it would. And you also, in 2004, were given the Walter Haas Award, right? Uh, yes. Um, the most prestigious um, award the LPL yeah, has. That was... Yes, it was given to me in 2001. Um, is, you know, I, I'm the member, i member since 1984, so you're talking about a good 34 years. And since that time, I've been contributing many observations, planetary observations that include photometry, uh, imaging, planetary imaging. Um, so uh, I've been, you know, it's um, pretty well, um, um, pretty well recognized as a very active, membership um throughout the 1980s and 1990s and um that i had an opportunity to become a mercury coordinator in 2001 and at the same time i and walter house award uh, was given to me um, you know one of the most outstanding um member uh for the last for that period of time yeah, congratulations um, on that now how did mm-hmm. you get involved with the alpl Okay, um, okay, how are we getting involved? Well, like I said, um, uh, like I, the planetary imaging is my main passion, and um, and then when I got the 8-inch telescope, I got more involved doing more planetary imaging, and I thought about ALBO, um, so why not to become, you know, become a member? Because I like to see the planetary imaging when I do that, uh, like to be more observation more meaningful um when i send it in it can be analyzed can be studied and, and compared with uh other observation and so that'll be quite a thrill so i became a member in 1984 and um i, I received the first journal and i can see all the information uh all the all the other members contribute to um to the organization and I, I knew Alpo for a long time, but this just, I don't know why it took me so long to become a member. 
and until uh, I was like 22 years old when I became a member, and uh, so uh, it was it was um, it was quite it was really a pleasure to uh, be a member. So I really like that group. Yeah, I've, so. I've been a member for a long time as well. Now we're going to talk about the Mercury section. You're the coordinator of that group. How long have you been the coordinator? Okay, I've been a coordinator for the last 17 years in 2001. Give, and, give me an overview of the section. What, what what type of observations do you have, that type of thing? Um, I remember, well, it wasn't a very active group, especially in the 1990s, and it wasn't a very active group. And uh, so, uh, you know, the very few people was um, uh, contribute to that session, and they have coordinators. Uh, well, at that time, they're called a recorder, and they keep changing you know, uh, one recorded to another, and um, uh, what's in a very active group because all the other sessions, then uh, they have very a lot of very a lot of involved in here. But Mercury is uh, it wasn't too active, and I was taking you know pictures uh, using film at those days, and uh, it's quite a decent shot. Yeah, when I usually turn into to the coordinator, and uh, they really like my picture. It's nothing but a a little, uh, like a face in the moon, and and so that pretty, um, you know, pretty highly at that time, and um, I was the most active member to contribute to the Mercury session. So when um, when the last coordinator stepped down, uh, Julia Benton uh, asked me if I willing to become a coordinator because I was showing the most active member, and um, sure. You know, and um, yeah, and I became a member, uh, coordinator, and uh, and I'm pretty happy about that. And uh, what I did that, it, then I thought to contact memberships and all the members, and uh, then I thought to get a lot of observation. Um, it's like you know, before it was like a dying session. I mean, it was just like it's it, it's just going to disappear, and uh, so I brought it back to life, and now now we have a lot of. Uh, a lot of a lot of observer, but uh, during that time, and uh, now to back to action. And I hope this podcast can help generate some more interest. I know Mercury is, is such an elusive planet. You know, I, I think the number of times I've actually observed it, I could count on both hands in my entire life. It's just something you really you have to look for. It's not like Venus or Jupiter or Mars that just stands out in the night sky. It's near sunset or sunrise, and it's a little bit more difficult to see. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, what type of equipment do you suggest people use for uh, contributing to the Mercury section? Okay. Um, uh, it's it's um, back in two thousand one, and then then I started to do a lot of imaging, and I've done contact a lot of observer, and they showed a very um, um, very interesting on the corner. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, the, the equipment I use, uh, it was, um, you don't need a large telescope to observe Mercury. Uh, you just need like a, maybe a moderate size or maybe a small size or moderate size, maybe like a 10 or 12 inch and, and no more. Um, a pair of binoculars. Binoculars are good equipment to, go to, to, uh, to catch Mercury. Uh, you know, you can use the binoculars to, to catch Mercury before people before visible with the naked eye um you can see it a lot earlier than uh, after sunset and uh, even 
even later after sunrise, some, during the sunrise, you can catch Mercury through the binoculars. And it's also during the planetary conjunction, uh, you can uh, compare Mercury with other planets uh, as far as its color, uh, the brightness, how well uh, it uh, can compare the color. Like if there's um, a planet Jupiter nearby being um, Mercury, um, you can see the color difference. Uh, like like the Jupiter is creamy white and Mercury is like a rosy red. And so, so you can compare colors. You know, same thing with, with Venus. Venus is very bright and creamy white and compared to Mercury, it looks like a dull, buzzy, rosy color. Yeah, I never thought of and it that so, way. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you can compare the colors like that. But generally, um, you know, like a small telescope, uh, you can able to see the Mercury face. Uh, but if you really want to catch the details, um, but it's going to be a little more sophisticated because you don't observe Mercury too long in the sky. Um, so I encourage a lot of amateur astronomers to observe Mercury uh, because they have a larger telescope. They're very well equipped. And... Um, you know, they, the one thing they're afraid of is uh, to point Mercury too close to the sun. And they don't like to do that uh, because, um, you know, because of their portability, they can move the telescope around where it's more convenient located to uh, observe Mercury. Uh, but I always recommend Mercury uh, to observe during the daytime when it's much, much higher in the sky. There is um, there's always a possibility that you can capture uh, a, a possible detail on the surface of uh, Mercury if you plan it well enough in advance to observe Mercury during the daytime. And you have to be pretty well uh, prepared for it. But usually, um, you know, like again, a moderately sized telescope would do with equatorial mount. Um, yeah, um, but also um, you need something like some kind of filter, uh, like a Rackham 25 filter or long pass, uh, like 600 nanometer long pass filter uh, to cut down uh, the blue light if you observe Mercury during the day because that would give very nice contrast. And uh, the blue sky will appear much darker and uh, the Mercury will appear much, much brighter and a better contrast. Um, so yes, uh, then that, that's the best way to, because you want to observe Mercury and hide in the sky as possible, which means that the daylight, but they, you know, they, a lot more planning to do just, uh, just trying to observe Mercury in the daylight. First of all, you have to find it and you have to know exactly where it is, uh, on the day of observing related to the sun. Uh, so, uh, you have to be very careful. I, I do not recommend anybody, you know, beginners, to uh, trying to observe Mercury during the de daytime because of the danger of pointing too close to the sun. But, however, um, if you place the telescope in the shade, uh, like if you have a, a, a building or a, a roof of the house blocking the sunlight, and Mercury probably will have a, a very short window of observing time where you can able to observe Mercury in the daytime before before the sunlight will hit the telescope. Um, Got to make sure that the telescope is in focus. Uh, the best way to focus, if, if, if the moon is out, 
if the, or Venus, if they both place on the same side of the uh, same side of the sun, you can observe Venus first. Make sure that they focus, and you set up the coordination, set up the position in, in declination and in right intention. Once you get that, then you find that Mercury position, uh, the coordination of Mercury. Once you then once you find out, then you can able to swing over to where Mercury should be. Uh, so hopefully, you know, it would be thing within the agreed around the uh, around the field and you can easily find Mercury in the daytime. That's a great tip using Venus as a as a guide to find Mercury, yeah. Now when you talk about observations, are you talking about visual observations and by visual I mean drawings or imaging? What 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 type of observations do you normally get for the Mercury section? Um well when I first became a coordinator there was a lot of people uh doing doing a lot of drawings sketching and you know they look like the face on the moon and you can able to see some of the details but it's very 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 hard to um to make it out where they saw um and also um later in the decade uh around 2010 then with that's when a lot of a lot of people started using the webcam imaging uh it it, it it's improved Dramatically, that the technology improved dramatically um, with uh, with the webcam imaging. If we could able to stack, uh, take many many images and stack them and um, and process it with the with the with the software, where you know we stack all the imaging and uh, it's gleaming mercury. It's very very um, very well taking uh, the imaging. Very well taking. Um, with the software, and is uh, it's quite amazing um, that now a lot of people doing more webcam imaging than drawing. But don't forget, drawing is very very important because you learn what you see. And it's um, very true. I run the training program. And that's what I emphasize. So thank you for plugging it. <laughs> yes, yes. So you learn what you see, and you remember what you see, and uh, so. Um, yeah, and uh, it's it's amazing. So that that's what I I used to drawing too, and then I turned into CCD um, imaging, and uh, everything is very very uh, uh, very. It's, it's amazing though. Yeah, now, how um, many current contributors does the Mercury section have? How many contributors? Um, how many contributors would be? Uh, well, when I first again when I first became uh, coordinator, I have a lot of observing. Uh, a lot of people observing. Uh, I, I would say at least 10, 11, 12. Now, as the year progressed, it, it, it's getting a little, it's getting less and less. Um, I tell you, during the first, um, between like 2001 to 2010, uh, we have a lot of lot of people observing Mercury because that was the upcoming of the spacecraft messenger. Now, the, uh, the one thing I like to mention about the, the messenger spacecraft uh, well, the messages stand for Mercury Surface, Space Environment, Geochemistry, and Ranging. Um, it launched in 2004 and arrived at Mercury 2011. So that's after a good seven years. Uh, the reason uh, it took so long because uh, they have to make the spacecraft to go slowly, go slow down because as it headed toward the sun, it, it tends to speed up the spacecraft. So in order to slow it down, they had to do many flybys to, to gravitation uh, pull 
from the from the planet to uh, to slow down the spacecraft. So we have like several flybys of uh, Venus and several few flybys of Mercury before before they finally enter the Mercury orbit. So that was that that was that that time. It was the highlight of um, doing the Mercury extension because a lot of people trying to you know image Mercury with some of the details which haven't been seen yet by the Messenger spacecraft. So um, we have a very good idea what you know, Mercury surface, surf, uh, Mercury surfaces look like. Uh, just an idea uh, what it might look like because. Um, with um, with some of the imaging, you know, we see some of the spots on the surface. Those are created created injector rays. We don't see the crater itself, but we see the injector rays. Very similar to what you see on the moon from uh, Copernicus and and Tycho. When you see those rays, um, so that became visible in the amateur's uh, telescope, and so um, that. The major uh, one, one of the major features that can be imaged in an amateur telescope, and also some of the dark albedo features, uh, one of the darkest area, uh, also being imaged too. And so, th- with the CCD, it became a very, very popular and um, become within uh, the technology. It's, uh, it's incredible, and um, some of the imaging now done by amateur astronomers can be comparable with with uh, the messenger's uh, spacecraft imaging. It's a quite amazing. Yeah, um, no, I like- oh, go on, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'd like to mention one person, uh, John Bundrau. Uh, he's from Massachusetts. And uh, he can became, he became very, very successful of the imaging uh, Mercury. His image is outstanding. And um, he's one of the, he's probably one of the, Best images uh, around the time now, and uh, he's incredible. He did with eleven inch telescope, and he had his techniques are, are phenomenal. Uh, some of the some of the imaging that he did one morning apparition, uh, he took several shots, uh, um, three days apart or something like that, and he com- converted to a short animation. And you can see Mercury change the face. And you can see actually see the rotation with all the features move with the rotation, and they move across the disc. It, it's incredible, and uh, um, he's still taking images now. And um, uh, so, you know, yeah. So that they're doing the height of the time. Um, then, then after um, between 2011 and 2015, that's when the Messenger spacecraft orbiting and. And they have a lot of images that we compare with our work, and we can see able to find out, you know, what we saw and what we see and what we imaging and what we drew, and compare with the messenger um, images. And very, it it consistent one another. And we really saw, you know, we really did what we, you know, see, and um, that's incredible. I mean. But now the last couple of years, you know, it, it, um, it, it, it's winding down a little bit. So hopefully you can able to uh, boot it up more, uh, more observers. And uh, so hopefully, um, you know, we have, have more people to observe Mercury. That would be great. And hopefully this podcast can help you out. Now you talked about the Messenger program and, and 
Is there much amateur and professional collaboration in the Mercury uh, section? Um, yeah, when I became a Mercury painter, Mercury uh, coordinator, um, I, I, I got in touch with some of the Mercury experts from the Lunar Planetary Laboratory in Arizona. And um, uh, don't, don't forget that very few professional astronomers devoted their time to observe Mercury. So it was just like very few that I contact with it. Uh, and um, also they're doing some kind of uh, observation. They want amateur astronomers to help. And But there's so much we can do, uh, except imaging, you know, the surface. But that was back then. That was doing um, doing what we were used to uh, doing with the films. And um like photometry or something like that, but it's very, very difficult to. Uh, so we have some of the Mercury Watch program. Um, it was somewhat successful, but um, you know it was difficult at, at that time. Um, uh, it was, yeah. Uh, Where are your observations published? Um, most of the observation published in, uh, in the Apple Journal. That's where I publish all my observations. You know, I receive observation from the observers, and I analyze them, and I write them, and I publish them in, a, in, in the Apple Journal. And I mainly I do that every year. Uh, I just I just did a 2017 observation of Mercury, and uh, then before you to do 2016, 2015. So mainly I do this every year. Um, you know, then I divide up when I do the journal. Right for the journal, I divide up for each apparition, you know, appar- morning apparition number one, then then number two, evening apparition, then number three, morning apparition. You know, uh, usually about apparition report about six to seven times each year. So I divert it to um, one big article to uh, to write up for each year. Okay. Does does the Mercury section have a separate newsletter or anything, or all your? Uh, yes, I do have newsletters. Um, I write it, you know, almost every every uh, quarterly. Uh, you know, it's just like an update. What's going on? Like any special, any special contributor, you know, that help out the session. So, how could people um, receive the newsletter? Yes, yes. No. How, how can, can how can people? Yeah, how, how, I I get them. Um, how can they get the newsletter? Oh, they, they, how get the newsletter? Um. Well, they usually publish in the in the, in the journal, oh. a news session. Okay. Yeah, and um, you know, anything that help out the session, you know, then I do to write out and, and all the update events coming up, any uh like a very close planetary conjunction with Mercury. When Mercury comes, like well, upcoming apparition, you know, then write a little bit about it, what to observe, what you see. You know, any close planetary conjunction, um, so forth. Yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share about the Mercury section? Um, well, I can. I um, I continue to be a you know, coordinator, and I just wish many people you know will write the list down to observe Mercury. And um, do we have another spacecraft coming uh, coming up? Uh, Pepe uh, Colombo is uh, the Italian and Japanese. Uh, spacecraft that they just launched uh, on October 20th and uh, so that would probably be the next um, uh, 
and then that's events for you know boosting up the Mercury uh, session. Uh, so um, hopefully um, within the next seven years um, that uh, the, the spacecraft expected to arrive there. Uh, it would be very similar to the messenger spacecraft, but it probably would be a little bit differently as far as um, uh, it would be maybe more imaging or something like that. And also they have a Japanese uh, instrument there too. I think it's supposed to, supposed to split up and one does, um, one will do something uh, something else, something like that. I remember offhand, but it's supposed to arrive there 2025, seven years from now. So that's a long time. Um, so it will follow the, like it will follow the messenger spacecraft uh, where it left off. So, so hopefully I will still be the coordinator. You know. <laughs> so it's a Mercury specific yeah. spacecraft, just Mercury only. I'm sorry. That? Mercury only. It's only Mercury. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Right. Um. Yes. I. I sort of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Spacecraft. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only spacecraft, yeah. Well, how can everybody get a hold of you if they're interested in contributing to the Mercury section, Frank? Yeah. Okay, um, oh, they can come back by email. Uh, my email is frankj12 at aol.com. And, um, you know, if they have any questions, if they have any um, anything, want to know how to observe Mercury, how to get involved, you know, what to observe, what to see. Um, no, what kind of you no know, filters or, or instruments, kind of telescope that you can observe Mercury, and um, yeah, so uh, I have very very few people to uh, to contact me. Uh, and I hope that more people will. Um, I used to have a lot of now. I used to have a lot of international, uh, especially European people, European observers. They're very very interested in observing Mercury. Uh, so hopefully it continue to uh, to, uh, to contribute to the session. Well, hopefully this podcast help gets, helps get the word out. Well, Frank, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast today. Okay, thank you very much. All right. It's a pleasure. do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. Again, I want to thank Frank Milello for coming on and giving us a nice little talk about the Mercury section. Get out there and observe Mercury, everybody. Come on, let's help out the section. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And you can also listen to us now on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. If you feel really generous, you can give up to $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seidentop, for his generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me with a question or a comment, you can email me at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at ObserversNBPod. If you'd like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. Find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening.